To say one waits a lifetime for his soulmate to come around is a paradox. People get sick of waiting around, but the art of commitment is a saw that eventually cuts. It was 1983, and 18 months passed since the mysterious world of Buster Lee began. New characters have come on the scene. Things have changed for the better. Overwhelmed by success, Neely Cairo hired 20-year-old Mayella Williams as a personal assistant. Williams is psychic. She can remote view, but she has a long way to go. New, too, is wannabe celebrity and know-it-all 13-year-old Venture Falls. Joan Reynolds' niece ventured dreams of a career as a model, actress, and singer. Last but not least is a part-time surfer, child of privilege, and bon vivant, Mutt Keep News. He's driven, ambitious, and lacks an empathy chip. But Mutt Keep News is so movie star handsome, so dope, he's stopped every day by strangers who want his John Henry. Set your calendar to 1983, and welcome to part two of season one of the mysterious world of Buster Lee. Raised on the wrong side of Travistock, New Jersey, Casey Bookman was brooding and athletic. His daddy was a car salesman, and his mama was a DJ at a local radio station. Two weeks ago, after school, Casey met Joan Reynolds' young niece, would-be actress, model, and wannabe celebrity, Venture Falls. The two little ones shared a fondness for baseball and BB rifles. After meeting Casey and hearing him talk it up, Venture wanted a BB rifle too. She told her aunt, retired model, actress, and world champion crossword player Joan Reynolds, these days a girl needs a BB rifle to protect herself. Hearing daily about the McMartin preschool case, Joan caved and a pink BB air rifle designed for a girl's delicate hands was bought. No one expected Venture Falls to shoot a BB rifle without instruction. So, on Neely Cairo's advice, Joan spoke to Mutt Keep News, the newcomer. Mutt was a good-looking 19-year-old, so attractive, strangers wanted his autograph. Mutt was the latest addition to the Buster Lee universe. The son of publishing juggernaut Cyrus Keep News, Mutt knew about firearms. Itching to make friends in New York and establish himself as something more than lucky and genetically gifted, Mutt agreed to Joan's request. A week later, toting the rifles, Venture, Casey, and Mutt hiked to the Lernian Forest. After a preliminary demonstration of safety features, the shooting began. On Friday at 11.30 p.m. on the new low-budget New Jersey UHF channel, WBES in Zionsville, Joan Reynolds' last movie aired. Shot in 1958 at Vasquez Rocks County Park, Lost Tribe of She-Beasts was Joan's final movie. In the non-speaking role as Athena, Joan wore a bikini made from scraps of mink sewn together by the director's mother. 
According to ratings, 600 people saw Lost Tribe when it aired that night in 1983. Joan Reynolds' phone rang. Thinking it was a friend or relative, there was no caller ID in those days, Joan picked up the phone with jovial comportment. Having appeared in 13 low-budget movies, Joan was used to the late-night calls, but this one was different. A week later, Joan spoke to Neely Cairo about the crank calls. Yes, you heard right. Calls. He calls and pants, and I hear ugly things. Terrible things in the background, Neely, said the retired actress. After talking to Joan, Neely met Buster Lee. Buster was in a blue sack coat and nutmeg-colored chinos. Beside him, leaning on Neely's desktop, wearing his ubiquitous and always clean khaki jacket and matching slacks, was Lars. Neely cast a spread of tarot cards to see what the Oracle knew about Joan's obscene phone caller. Holy buckets, said Lars. Joan Reynolds is 66. Who would have a thing for her? The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. now, the fan. Buster Lee was conflicted. He was close to Joan. He rented an apartment from Joan. He saw her twice a week. He shoveled her drive. He raked her yard. On Sundays, he had dinner with her because she was a vegetarian too. If anyone was trying to hurt her, Buster Lee would lose his objectivity. And being an amateur sleuth, objectivity was the one thing he could not lose. After thinking about it, Buster Lee asked Neely to be removed from the case. She agreed. With the time off, Buster Lee would take Beck upstate for a week. He was due to see his friend. In the shower, Buster Lee knew something was bugging him. But he didn't know what. When her mother, the wedding planner, was out of town, Venture stayed with Joan. Joan and Venture drove to Granway Grocery Store to pick up some things. In the parking lot, they met Honey Kirkwood, a 50-something housewife. Pointing to her lopsided car and the deflated tire, Honey Kirkwood said, that is my second flat this week. A van with a sign on the side that said, he has risen pulled into the parking space beside Jones. Behind the wheel of the cube van was Father Michael, the local youth minister and coach of the softball team. Six foot tall with sharp blue dots for eyes and born on the shores of Lake Como, Father Michael was all branch water and wood smoke. He was like a slice of apple pie, sharp and sweet. Joan thought if she was only 30 years younger, she could have distracted him from the seminary. But I digress. In the van with the other players was Venture's new friend, Casey Bookman. Seeing Venture, Casey waved and smiled. 
As Father Michael climbed out of the van, Casey, never one to miss an opportunity to get under the priest's skin, said, Father Michael, why did God invent evil? I don't know, Casey, said Father Michael. You'll have to ask him. Venture giggled. Joan looked away and pretended she had not heard a word of what was said. Putting the grocery bags, yes, they were made of brown paper, in the back seat of her runabout, Honey Kirkwood said, Can someone call AAA, please? I have some ice cream in here. When Joan ambled to the store to call AAA, a squad car appeared. Stepping out of the car, the flatfoot looked at Honey Kirkwood's tire and said, Does everyone in Travistock have a flat today? Seems so, said Joan. With the look of cats having swallowed a baby canary, Casey stared at Venture and said, It's only a flat okay, right? Why are there so many flat tires? Sitting at a kitchen table is the best place to open an envelope of forensic photographs. Hovering over the high-quality images with his magnifying glass, Lars saw the cause of the flat tires. Zinc-plated BBs. Someone shot the tires with a BB rifle. LaGuardia speaking, said Lars. This is Travistock Hot Air Balloon Rentals calling to confirm Friday. We have a hot air balloon booked in your name for three hours. Yes, we look forward to seeing you. The sky will be clear. Lars thought Joan would enjoy a ride in a hot air balloon. She was going through a lot recently. It would take her mind off things. He called her. Oh, Lars, a ride in a hot air balloon Friday, said the former actress and one-time Olympic swimmer. I've been under so much stress lately. I'd love that. Noticed Joan wasn't super excited about Lars' hot air balloon offer? That's because the adolescent vernacular of super excited belongs to the 21st century. In 1983, being super excited was not an option. Opening the lid of the console stereo, Joan removed an album from its protective cardboard cover and put it on. Can I turn up the bass? said Venture. I love bass. Putting down the groceries, the girls did a dance worthy of a big hair spandex music video circa 1982. Curious to see what the hullabaloo was about, Beck, who when not on assignment, spent time with Joan, stuck his head around the corner. Never one to stand on the sidelines, Beck scampered around and wiggled like a glowworm. The sound of Buster Lee's Italian scooter was unmistakable. In the sidecar, as always, was Super Pooch back. Today he was wearing special goggles that protected his eyes from dust and debris. When Mason heard Buster's approach, he tossed aside the book he was reading and slid down the banister. On the first floor was a flimsy screen door designed to keep bugs out. Seeing Buster Lee through the door made him look like a scene from an old western. Since becoming vegetarian six months ago, Mason was looking like a scarecrow. Buster Lee noticed approvingly, but said nothing. After dinner, Mason made a campfire and brought out some Navajo blankets in case it got cool. Buster Lee told Mason about his landlady, Joan Reynolds, the phone calls and such. Sensing something was on Buster Lee's mind, Mason said, What are you going to do about your father? Biting his lower lip, 
Buster Lee said. I guess Niagara Falls isn't that far from here, is it? In 1968, young Otto Muller moved from Zurich to the USA. While working as a farmhand in Millbrook, New York, Otto, who, although short, was attractive, strapping, and exuded a kind of animal magnetism impossible to define, rewarded four girls and one 36-year-old married housewife with a child. That fall, Otto moved to Niagara Falls, settling on the Canadian side. Because his daddy was brazened, unbeknownst to him, Buster Lee had five stepbrothers in the Millbrook area. The stepbrothers laughed like Buster Lee and looked strikingly similar. They all had high cheekbones, large hands and feet, were square-jawed, and came with the compact build of a lightweight gymnast. The following evening, Joan's phone rang. Hello, said the former screen queen. In response, she heard breathing in motion. Saying hello again, hello. And getting nothing but more of the same, Joan hung up and called Neely Cairo. Yes, he called again. No, no, it was quiet. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, but you know men can do a lot in the dark. To stop the calls, Joan took the phone off the hook. On Friday, she got something worse than a phone call. She got a letter. It was a handwritten missive in a script so small she couldn't read it. Then the phone rang. Heart pounding, she picked it up. It was Lars. He was calling to remind her about the hot air balloon ride. Oh yes, she said. The balloon ride today. Right. On beautiful summer days, when there is not a cloud of consequence to be seen, it's hard to imagine what upstate New York looked like 22,000 years ago. When the Ice Age ended, its retreat left upstate New York pockmarked with thousands of deep crevices. With time, they filled with water. Kiefer Gorge was a result of this. Today it's a swimming hole, one of hundreds around Albany. Mason told Buster Lee a stalker story of his own. Our lead singer, Winsy Poon, from our band White Castle, has a fan too. A real weirdo who sends him locks of her hair, toenail clippings, you name it. At first we thought it was a cougar in her 30s. You know LA, right? But it turns out she's an 18-year-old from Silver Lake. Hmm, said Buster Lee. That reminds me of my daddy. Given how close Niagara Falls is, I should ride there and find my daddy. But given the state Joan is in, I should find my daddy on some other trip, right? Mason kept his mouth shut. Marcus Aurelius had become an influence. Hearing a distant shrieking coming from above, Buster Lee screened his eyes and looked up. A flock of cormorants swept by and blocked the sun, turning the blue waters of Kiefer Gorge black. Weird. Conditions for hot air ballooning were perfect. There were 10 additional hot air balloons milling around the sky too. Each appeared to be carrying a large piece of a jigsaw puzzle. Joan brought some chocolate milk, 
two egg salad sandwiches and one set of binoculars. Reaching 300 feet, Lars pressed a button that stopped the balloon rising. Looking down, Jones said, they're putting together a puzzle, an enormous jigsaw puzzle. I wonder what it is. Minutes later, Joan, gazing through the binoculars, couldn't believe what she saw. Huddled in the grassy knoll of Hall Park were two people shooting at passing cars. One gunman wore a camo jacket and the other an orange vest. The grassy knoll at the back of Hall Park served two purposes. A, it provided Casey and Venture with an unobstructed view of the passing traffic and the stop sign, and B, they could hide in it. With their BB rifles aimed at the car tires, after identifying the driver and guessing his or her leanings, they would shoot. Venture would say, that's Mrs. Newman, the bleeding guidance teacher. Casey would say, isn't that Arlene Wise, the local environmentalist? Let's get her. On and on it went until they ran out of BBs. Casey went home to study Latin and Venture went to Joan's place to watch TV. After a week with Mason Gronwald, Buster Lee packed his stuff, collected Beck, and hopped on his scooter only to find something was wrong. Maybe it was the fuel line? Mason would take it into the garage and see what they said. In the meantime, Buster Lee took a cab to the train station, but the ticket workers were on strike. Flummoxed, Buster Lee took a taxi to the bus station. Buying a one-way ticket, he and Beck took the bus to Travistock. Five minutes outside Selkirk, the bus got a flat. After the driver fixed it, the passengers applauded. When the bus started moving again, Buster Lee put his headphones on, closed his eyes, and with Beck in his lap, slid back into the seat. Ten minutes later, the cassette player died. Then Beck signaled he wanted to, you know what. Ambling down the aisle to the driver with his request, the driver said, It's a pleasure. I have a red healer. I know what the deal is. At the upcoming gas station, the bus stopped. Beck and Buster Lee stepped out, and the rest you know. At 1 a.m., Buster Lee and Beck pulled into Travistock. The porch light was off. The altar of St. Joseph's Church in Travistock was made of Georgian marble and was graced by a simple wooden crucifix. Statues of the Blessed Virgin and St. Paul flanked the cross. These fixtures and the Stations of the Cross were hand-carved and made of lindenwood from Italy and were gifts from Frank Sinatra's mother, Dolly. Despite what you hear, many teenagers, like Casey and Venture, enjoyed their once-a-week trip to church. Casey's belief was a contentious issue between himself and his parents, whom he saw as greedy hippies. In this it's-all-relative world, where no one could say why we fight, where half your friends came from broken homes, where people talked about their rights but never their responsibilities, where it's-all-relative was an accepted canon, St. Joseph's Catholic Church was a calming influence. As corny as they were, Venture loved the rituals. As today's service was about to end, 
Venture leaned into Casey and whispered, Want to do some target practice after mass? I can't, Casey said. I have a ball game. Come to that, and we can go to the grassy knoll later. Smitten, Venture said. Can I bring my Aunt Joan to the ball game? Casey shook his head. I would love that. She used to be famous, right? There are no magic waters at the Poulton baseball field and no memories to brush away. But one thing was true. If you lived in a small town in 1983, you could always count on Little League Baseball. Say what you will about Casey Bookman's moral compass or lack of, he was as fine a first baser as Travis Stock had seen in a decade. Father Michael knew this and put up with Casey. And who knows, maybe Casey would change. But time, as far as the cars and the flats were concerned, Venture knew, unless she and Casey could spin the story, they would be caught. There were just too many flat tires. It was always in the news and on local talk radio. It was only a matter of time. Coming back with a third inning ice cream, Joan sat on the bench behind the cage. Without looking at Venture, she said, I know you and Casey are responsible for the flat tires. Shielding her eyes with her hand, pretending not to hear what Joan said, Venture swallowed hard. I spoke to Father Michael, and he will see you in confession today. What about Casey? Said Venture. That's up to his parents. Now eat your praline and cream before it melts. After the game at Poulton Field, Venture slipped into St. Joseph's Church and spilled some tea. We pick people we despise. Omnia que opus sunt. It wasn't the cars or the tires. Et Ioannis Paulus Secundus. We use zinc-coated BBs. In sanctorum numero censeantur feliciter sunt expleta. This week I didn't. The buzzer rang and the delivery man gave the Chinese food to Buster Lee and Lars. Bringing the food into Neely Cairo's large, dark, mahogany-walled office, Jones said, How was your trip to see Mason, Buster Lee? Did you have a swell time? Putting down the chopsticks, Buster Lee said, It's always good to get out of the city, and I like hanging with Mason. He's got a really good heart. What about you, Joan? I heard the harassing phone call stopped. Opening the box of orange chicken, Jones said, Whoever it was, he was like an impetuous child. Pell-mell in and pell-mell out. I don't know what happened, but he stopped. Standing up, Lars brought the newspaper to Joan's attention and said, Will you look at this? Joan tilted her head the way Beck did when he was curious about something. Remember when we took the hot air balloon ride last week and they're making some sort of jigsaw puzzle in the field below? Tipping her head closer to the paper, Joan looked at a black and white photograph. It's odd, said Lars, but it looks like water being poured into a metal ice cube tray. No? Joan put on her reading glasses, studied the picture, and nodded her head. It certainly does appear to be that, Lars.
denouement. Later that night, at 11.20 p.m., at WBES, the technician spooled the reel of two-inch videotape onto the machine. Tonight's creature feature was Curse of the Wasp Women. Shot on four days outdoors for $3,000 in 1957, wearing a bikini, Joan Reynolds was a wasp woman. 17 miles away, wearing his uncle's orange hunting vest and no socks, a moody, attractive, athletic, gun-loving buck itched to see Joan Reynolds. Her films weren't good, but seeing Joan Reynolds running around in almost nothing and screaming every six minutes made him thirsty. Very thirsty. But knowing that 20 years later, Joan Reynolds lived less than a mile from you and that you were practically going out with her niece was the bomb. When the campy music began, a spaceship zipped across the screen, followed by a giant bee. Casey looked at the side table and the phone. He looked at the TV, then the phone, the phone, then the TV. He bit his lip and his mouth was dry. He was thirsty, very thirsty. You've been listening to The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Mystery World theme by Oliver Wickham. Follow us on Instagram. Go ampersandpod underscore planet. For show notes and merch, go to podplanet.org. Special thanks to Tattoo Sound and Music. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee is written and produced by podplanet.org. 